Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. One of the things that I love and want to continue to bring to the show is different perspectives. Whether it's masculinity, gender dynamics, myth, or spirituality, I think the more we can expand what we understand, ultimately the better off we'll be. Often this will entail putting our firmly held beliefs of what is real and how the world works aside. Our conditioning acts as a safe harbor, but it keeps us there. As an evolving species, we need creative thinking and better pattern recognition to help us with the challenges that we're currently facing. I remember the first time I read The Yugas, the book written by my guest today. It had the impact of giving me a much different perspective, a long vision of history and our place in it that filled me with wonder and hope. Even though I am an American and live far from India, I have long marveled at the quality of teachers and wisdom that have poured forth from this amazing country. My hope is that as we look at some of the more esoteric themes and topics, you, my dear listeners, will be inspired to go have a look for yourself. Not to necessarily completely change your beliefs, but to add and expand the ways that you currently see the world. Joseph Selby is the co-author of The Yugas, which delves into the Indian tradition of cyclic history and explores ancient unexplained anomalies. He's also the author of The Physics of God, which makes an engaging case for the grand unification of science and religion. Joseph has taught yoga philosophy and meditation in America and Europe for over 40 years, and he helped found Ananda, an international yoga movement whose members number in the hundreds of thousands, and avidly followed the discoveries of science which are opening up the world to higher consciousness. He is the father of four grown children and lives in the Ananda village in Northern California. Here is my interview with Joseph Selby. I'm here with Joseph Selby, author, the co-author of The Yugas. You wrote a book with David Steinmetz called The Yugas. It is great to have you on the show, Joseph. I've been very excited to speak with you. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. And so the, the rest of the title, it's The Yugas, Keys to Understanding Our Hidden Past, Emerging Energy Age, and Enlightened Future. And I just finished a second run through of it, and it is just a fantastic book. I was super excited to meet you. And I guess to kick it off, you know, it's probably hard to say, you know, tell us what the yugas are in a, in a five-minute answer. But, you know, can you introduce what the yugas are, where they came from, and how you got interested in it enough to write a book on it? Sure. So the yugas uh, come to us from India. Uh, it's a millennia-old tradition that uh, civilization waxes and wanes in a 24,000-year cycle. So for 12,000 years, mankind improves, if you will, and then for 12,000 years after that, mankind descends back to a uh, less evolved state. So uh, according to this cycle, we are on the upswing. We are kind of early into what's known as the second age, Dwapara Yuga. Uh, the first age is Kali, second Dwapara, third Treta, and the highest age is Satya Yuga. And I got um, into it because I read a book by uh, a man named Sri Teshwar. Sri Teshwar uh, wrote The Holy Science. It's a very deep tone full of, you know, sort of the, the 
depth and breadth of the spiritual path. But interestingly enough, he had an introduction for like the first 16 pages of the book where he introduces the idea of the yuga cycle. And when I read it, I was going to school uh, studying um, Greek civilization and uh, the civilization of India. And so much of what he said about there being higher ages in the past really resonated with what I was discovering in that uh, study that I was I was undertaking. So it was a it was perfect timing, natural fit, and I have never stopped being interested since. One of the things that I found super fascinating by reading it is I've been saying for a long time, I also have a meditation practice, and I, I've been saying, look, consciousness is evolving. You can sense it. You can sense it in in yourself. You can sense it in the conversations that are happening. And what, one of the things I appreciate about your book and the yugas as a model is it sort of affirmed that consciousness is evolving. We are entering a more enlightened age, but it doesn't look like that always on the surface, right? There's this kind of sense of people are saying, well, why is everything going to hell? Why is the politics look like this? How come the, the planet and the environment, you know, everything we see in the mainstream media, I might add, is saying that everything is degrading and we're not entering a new enlightened age and it doesn't match the interior of so many people that I talk to and my own sense of it. So one of the things that I really loved is that it affirmed, hey, no, this is, you know, we're going through this, but why does the external not quite seem to match the yugas as an internal model, say? Does it just take a while to catch up or? Well, that's a good question. And a lot of people ask that. And several answers to that question. One is that I think things are improving more than people uh, credit. There is actually a lot of good news if you look for it. It is, as you mentioned, really the mainstream media that is giving us this narrative that everything is going to the dogs. And if you just look at that, then yes, everything is going to the dogs. Right, right. <laughs> but there are other trends that are really um, very positive. I mean, we have meditation has gone mainstream. Uh, yoga postures and the whole sort of philosophy of yoga went mainstream before that. Uh, we have improved lifespans. We have improved quality of life. Uh, there's a lot of things that are, you know, substantially measurable uh, trends that are show that we really are improving. And uh, as a lot of people will say to me, well, you know, it was like this in the 1600s or the 1500s. And I say, well, you know, it's really uh, a trap to think of those as the, the good old days, because what you're eliminating from your awareness is the fact that there was slavery, that life expectancy was... 35 years and on and on. They really were wonderful times compared to what we have now. So I would just say that the yugas do not promise an unmixed improvement mm -hmm. and that there is going to be imperfections in the world. As long as there are imperfections in people, there will be imperfections in the world. But And also because the cycle is so long, the increases in in uh, quality are not always easy to see within the span of a year or two or five or ten. But if you look back, you know, even to the 1900s, the world we live in now is remarkably better. Well, and like you said, too, we're really unaccustomed 
to taking a 25,000 year view of something, right? It's like, we just look right now and say, I don't like who's president or I do like who's president. So that means it's going up or down. Or, you know, I see more homeless in my city. So things must be really spiraling in a downward direction. And we just were too up close to it to notice the larger kind of cosmic movements that you're speaking of in the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of the other things I really loved about the book is I felt like for the first time, I could understand one of these large timelines in a way that made sense. I had read probably three books on the Mayan calendar, and I still could not get my mind around it. Like I could still not quite understand why there were some scholars and people that were super passionate about the Mayan calendar, which was kind of like a a similar kind of 25 or 26,000 year cycle. Does it jive with the Mayan calendar, the yugas? Is it just because it's set in a different culture in India? Or were they talking about two kinds of different things? Because I could never really quite understand the Mayan calendar in a way that made me feel like I understood it. Well, I think there is an interesting connection between the, the cycle of the yugas as Triyateshwar described them and the Mayan calendar. Um, one of the key starting points in the yugas, which is the beginning of descending Dwapara Yuga, not our Dwapara Yuga, which is the ascending cycle, but the beginning of the descending was in 3100 BC. And that is also uh, the start of the Mayan calendar's long count. But uh, what I've always wondered, why there isn't more conformance, perhaps, and just that between the two, is this a matter of interpretation? You know, if the Mayan calendar did indeed begin in 3100 BC, that's a long time for uh, mistakes. And in fact, Sri Yukteswar said in his explanation of the Yudas that he was really correcting some errors that had entered the thinking about the Yudas in uh, thousands of years ago. So perhaps if we had the equivalent of the Sri Yukteswar, talking about the Mayan calendar, there'd be more conformance, more connection in the two. The other thing that happened with the Mayan calendar is that it was, in particular, popularized by a man who saw in it very, very deep layers of evolution of consciousness. And he was predicting that the end of the Mayan calendar was going to mean the end of civilization. And that was a uh, a fairly unique interpretation of the calendar, and yet it caught on, you know, just went everywhere in the press. And so everybody was looking at that end date thinking, okay, you know, this is it. It's the, uh, the end of the world or the end of uh, civilization, if we know it. And I think being just one interpretation of someone who is not necessarily, you know, as high-minded or as realized as somebody else, you know, everyone was skeptical of it. It was fascinating. Somebody who was high-minded looked at it. Perhaps they, they would see deeper connection and longer connection. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there an astronomical explanation? For instance, I was nosing around in my research on the internet. You know, I get down some rabbit holes sometimes when I'm looking at some of the esoteric stuff. And I found a topic called astrotheology. And I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. What is that? And this person, I, I won't say it who it is off the top of my head. They were saying that, with the ages, and I don't remember if he was talking, I don't think he was talking about the yugas. He might've been talking about the Mayan calendar, but he said, we're entering an age where there's more light coming in. 
And he tied it to planetary movements and was very specific, saying, as our sun moves closer to the star Sirius, that gives the ascending ages. And the descending ages is when they move apart from each other, away from each other. And I was like, well, that that sounds like a very reasonable explanation, but I also wasn't sure if he was a scientist or a philosopher or where he was getting his information. I I wanted to ask you, is there any kind of astronomical basis for the yugas or is it more intuition and uh, philosophy? Oh, there's definitely an astrological base to it. Um, Sirik Teshwar himself was a uh, very great astrologer. He did a lot of work with his own disciples and people that he um, that came to him. Uh, essentially, the 24,000-year cycle mirrors the zodiac, the 12 signs of the, the zodiac, the sun signs. But the length of each sign is approximately 2,000 years to match the 24,000 years of the cycle. And they are meshed with what's called the precession of the equinoxes. Uh, this gets a little difficult to, to describe, but if you were to uh, measure where the background stars are at the autumnal equinox every year, you would find that the background stars shift ever so little, but steadily year to year from where you're seeing the moment the sun comes up over the horizon and where the background stars are. And in 24,000 years, the entire zodiac will cycle one time. So there are astrological and astronomical connections to the Kudas, but it doesn't really imply, as people often think, that certain signs are higher and certain signs are lower. Got it. That there, there, there's an equality among the signs. They're all different facets of who we are. We need them all. We need all 12 facets of ourselves in order to be full and complete and functioning human beings. But uh, it's more really marking uh, the astronomical zodiac as opposed to the astrological implications of it. So, on a, on a, so we're in an ascending Dwapara Yuga, and astrologically, are we out of Pisces and into Aquarius, or is that... Are we in between? Like trans- we're in between. We're yeah. in between. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, zodiac signs only match up at the peak of the cycle and at the lowest point of the cycle. Otherwise, the ages don't fit into uh, one sign at a time. I got you. Okay. So, um, and I wanted to shift gears and talk about the spiritual community, um, Ananda. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I go to the East West bookstore here and it is run by Ananda and the people there are just always so uplifting and beautiful and and just warm. Um, I remember when I was very young, um, I got two books from the East. One was Be Here Now by Ram Dass and the other was Autobiography of a Yogi. And um, your teacher, uh, it's uh, pronounced Sri Yukteswar. Is that correct? Teshmar is the uh, guru, the teacher of yoga. Yoga, yeah. The autobiography of the yoga. And that was, for many people, the first thing they kind of read from the East. There wasn't all the books that you see in the bookstore now. 
it was this, and it was passed around in this kind of reverent way. Like, if you check this out, this is an unbelievable, you know, tale. And um, how did you first get hooked into it? Did you read the book like I did? Or did you fall in? Did you find, was there a community nearby? How did you first get into uh, the meditation in that path? Well, I fell into it uh, when I was in my freshman year in college because my roommate was already um, aware of the autobiography of a yogi and the teachings around it. So that's where I got my start was from, you know, somebody uh, I liked and uh, resonated with. So, uh, but the autobiography of a yogi, as you say, has been an introduction to Eastern teachings for literally millions of people. Uh, it's been translated into 34 languages around the world. Uh, there's probably in the neighborhood of 20 million copies that have been sold uh, since it was published. And who knows how many times it's been given away, right? Right, exactly. Uh, the, the kind of book you say, you got, you have to read this and give it to your best friend. Absolutely. So it has had an enormous impact. And it had an enormous impact on me. Uh, then after that, I was already, you know, seeing life much differently because of that book and wondering what life had in store for me. And I took a round-the-world trip uh, in the, uh, you know, backpacking style, low-budget, stayed in hostels, but made my way from Europe uh, through the Middle East and ended up in India. And then finishing that, I was like, well, what, what comes next? Right, I found this book. It's changed my life. I've seen the world. It's changed my life even more. And in asking that question, I was looking around and I discovered that there was this spiritual community called Ananda that was not too far from me. I was living in Berkeley at the time. Went and visited, and it was like coming home. It was like, you know, you say the people at East West Bookstore. Uh, Bookstore in Seattle are, you know, warm and friendly and just the kind of people you want to know. It was like that immediately at Ananda. So I've been there uh, here since 1975. Wow. Wow. So it's it's an intentional community, a spiritual community. Is there a lot of workshops and stuff that, that are taught or it's really just practitioners living according to the principles and the, and, the, and the spiritual principles that you have and spiritual values? Or do you, is it also kind of a learning center where people come and take classes and stuff? Well, it's sort of both. And I would say even for those of us who live here, it continues to be a learning center as there are so many opportunities to uh, keep going deeper and go to classes and workshops. But for people who are visiting for the first time, we have maintained a retreat called the Expanding Light, Expanding Light Retreat, and it gets thousands of visitors every year from all over the world. Uh, from people who would like anything from a personal retreat to just charge the batteries, to, to uh, slow down, eat good food, relax, meditate, to people who want to go deeply into the teachings of Yogananda. Um, it, it offers everything. But for many people, that's just the beginning, and they really want to go deeper into it. So we have this community here in uh, the Nevada City area in California. But we also have urban communities, uh, one in Seattle, not far from you, 
uh, one in Portland, uh, one in Palo Alto, another one in Sacramento. We have a group in LA. Uh, we have a major center in Italy uh, around Assisi. And then we have a number of centers in India. So, you know, since I first came to Ananda, there were literally a hundred of us uh, in 1975, including kids. And since that time, it's grown into the tens of thousands around the world. Is, is, there, still, is there still one primary teacher or is it now, it's an organization, a spiritual, and, and it's more of a community leadership at the top or is there still one teacher that's alive and teaching that's everybody's like, well, that's, that's the primary guru or, or teacher for us? Well, I'll say both because um, the man who founded Ananda, Swami Kriyananda, uh, was clearly uh, a wonderful spiritual teacher, a great guide. Um, he always uh, positioned himself with us as himself a disciple of Yogananda, and he was wanting to show us how to be disciples of Yogananda. Uh, he never put himself at the, at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. He was always, uh, as he put it, uh, a spiritual friend to us. He also, though, and this is why I say it both, that we have teachers and we have an organization, is that Green Hunter was very wise about building an organization that would outlast him, that wasn't dependent on a, you know, uh, a figurehead spiritual teacher like himself, and he empowered lots of people to be ministers and teachers and all these other communities that I was telling you about that are all over the world are run by very magnetic, very capable, uh, very charming people who um, have attracted to them uh, hundreds and thousands of people. So uh, it is both. I mean, you, any spiritual organization, if it's going to present itself in a magnetic way to others needs a magnetic presenter. Absolutely. Is it, is it common, is it common for Ananda to get retirees? Because I would think, you know, somebody works a lot, they're in a city. I'm thinking of myself, you know, it's like, what would I want to do after I'm done working? And it's not golf all the time. I would think, like deepening my spiritual practice and having intentional spiritual practitioners around me would be a good final chapters of my life, right? Is it common for people to say, hey, I worked, I'm done, and now I want to focus on this? Or do people from all ages really gravitate in? I think people from all ages gravitate in. I mean, we do have quite a few people who, like yourself, uh, made the move when they felt like their kind of uh, worldly obligations were complete and they could... Uh, they could come. Uh, others um, have chosen to live in the urban communities where they can do both. So they still have the um, career or, or job or family life that they already have and yet have a, a deeper connection to these teachings and to really live the teachings in, in a day-by-day -day way. But then we also have, um, you know, uh, young folks, pre-college, straight out of college, 
in their 20s, 30s, who are finding it's a still wonderful way to live. So we really get the full spectrum. Um, the teachings know no age. They, they work for anyone and everyone who embrace them. Are you still writing? Do you still have some writing going on? Or do you feel like I've, you know, I did that, I wrote my book and, and I'm good? Or, or is there some ideas, creative, creative ideas that are kicking around right now? Uh, well, I've actually written uh, another book, uh, a nonfiction book that is, is in, in my mind, kind of a, an extension of the yoga, but it may be hard to see the line uh, because what it's called is The Physics of God. And it is uh, a book that uh, unifies spiritual teachings and the discoveries of science and makes these connections between the um, experiential discoveries of the saints and sages with the experimental discoveries of the scientists. Um, so that book I uh, finished a few years ago. Now I'm working on another book called The Psychology of God. Mm. So uh, the, the notion there is pretty much the same, which is that I'm trying to unify the discoveries of psychology about uh, particularly neuroscience and how we function mm. mentally and emotionally and physically and connect them with the timeless spiritual teachings so that they don't seem like uh, separate realities described in totally different languages with different um, uh, paradigms. They really are both talking about the same thing. Psychology is trying to uh, discover how we can live better, how we can live happier, how we can live more fulfilled lives. And spirituality has that aspect to it, but then takes it up a notch or two that psychology often uh, stops in. That, so, sounds, that sounds like a fantastic book to be working on. <laughs> I hope I hope it is. I love it. I, I mean, I write because I am so inspired writing that it honestly wouldn't matter to me if, if anyone read the book. I love it that people do read the books, but, you know, I learned so much trying to put into words these very deep and subtle concepts, as well as all the research, of course, it's needed to do. And I really grow. I really feel enriched by it. Uh, even though you wouldn't think it from the title, the, the Physics of God, I came out of that uh, whole writing process very much more confirmed and deepened in my own spiritual understanding and my own spiritual practices. So hopefully that is conveyed through the books to those who read it. Do you like to go out and give talks and teach and stuff, or mainly you like to write and live in the community that you're in? I do both. I don't get out that often. I just finished a workshop in your neck of the woods in Seattle called the, the Physics of Meditation. It was bringing in this sort of underlying truths that science has discovered about the nature of reality with why meditation works and how meditation works best. But uh, I also love to just be home and write. <laughs> so yeah. very, very satisfying day-to-day um, -day kind of lifestyle for me. 
Well, you're very good at it. I can see if I wrote as well as you, I'd probably be the only thing I ever did. So, um, Joseph, thank you so much for being on Basecamp for Men. I just, I love your book. I want everybody to get it. I'm going to promote it. I tell people, hey, if you want a different perspective on what's happening right now, go get the yugas because it will be a game changer for you. So thank you so much. Um, It was just fantastic to talk to you. My pleasure. If people want to learn more about the yugas, there is theyugas.com has more articles in it and more information. And if they're interested in the physics of God, I have another website called physicsandgod.com. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Joseph Selby. I highly recommend picking up his book, The Yugas, at www.theyugas.com. If Eastern philosophy is new to you, but you're looking for a first look in, The Beloved Classic and Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda is a great place to start. And if the topic of Ananda and community is interesting to you, go to www.ananda.org. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men. 